0: Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5 Revelation chapter 5, and i start today's broadcast, if we may, in verse 1 And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on a throne, a book written within And on the back side, sealed with seven seals The description is in heaven John has been shown future events This book starts off with John on the Isle of Patmos being shown what was about to occur But around chapter 4 He is now being transported, literally caught up to the third heaven. And he sees in the right hand of him that sat on a throne, a book written within. Now he sees God the Father sitting on his throne. And once again, the attention to detail is quite remarkable. He sees a book in his right hand, not his left hand, but his right hand. And on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Some people think it could be the book of Revelation. Some people think it could be the Holy Bible. Some people think it could be the deeds to the earth. I'm not sure myself. It could be all three. Let's keep reading on. Verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? This almost goes back to uh, the previous chapter. I think it was from chapter 3, uh, verse... 7, and i read it quickly as a cross-reference back. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. A great picture there too. on the one hand, the Lord's ministry, which is non-transferable. There's no delegation here. Yes, he would give the keys to Peter concerning the kingdom of heaven, but he also would give Paul the keys to the kingdom of God. And both those keys were given vicariously to the other apostles as well. Also from verse 8. I know their works. Behold, I set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So he, Christ alone, has the key of David from verse 7. And here you've got an angel speaking with a loud voice. Chapter 5, verse 2 asking the question to those in heaven, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And the suspension must have been absolutely uh, terrifying to one extent because you're not sure what the response is going to be. Because if nobody's worthy to open the book, we're all in a great bind. Look at verse 3, please. And no man in heaven, nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither look thereon. So no man in heaven... Out goes a saint. Nobody on earth. Out goes your priest. Prophet. Pope. Or under the earth. Out goes any demon. And no man in heaven. Nor on earth. Neither under the earth. Was able to open the book. Neither look thereon. This also goes back to Paul telling us. Clearly how there's only one mediator. Between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. So no one. No nothing. Here. On the earth. In heaven or under the earth is worthy to open this book, verse 1, which is sealed with seven seals. This is quite remarkable because most churches that I've come into contact with think that there's something else. They think there's something special and they think they are cut above the rest. And yet at the end of the day, they got no more authority than you and I have, let alone any more privilege. Look at verse 4, please. And I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither look thereon. No man, no woman. And again, I'm going to keep driving this point home. Because when you survey the Catholic Church, they believe they have this priest system, which is something special. And that the Pope is infallible when he speaks on subjects like mole and faith. And yet back in the 1970s, they had a conclave where they voted to a place, a Pope that had just died, I think it was Paul the Sixth for memory, and they put this guy in from Italy who did just thirty three days in office and he died very suspiciously. And think to yourself, if they are infallible, why would they choose somebody to live or to reign for just thirty-three days? It's clear they had no idea what was awaiting them. Also the Mormons believe in their Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods. And if you're not in one of those two priesthoods, quote unquote, then you are nothing special. You're very much uh, in need of such people to intercede for you. The truth is you got people doing religion. you got people trying to reach heaven their own way, like you find back in Genesis chapter 11, whereas Almighty God came to earth to reach mankind. Look at verse 5, please. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof, You can't miss it. Only Christ has been able to open this book because he has prevailed. He's overcome death. He's paid for the sins of the world. And once again, this is the third description of the Lord. He was referred to in the first chapter as the Son of Man. The second chapter as the Son of God. And here as the Lamb from the tribe of Judah. From the root of David. Very messianic. And I read this book this morning and last night, trying to work out verse 8, and I get there shortly. And I thought to myself, once again, James, this is a Jewish book. This is not a Gentile book. This is not one of the Pauline epistles. This is a Jewish book. And we miss this so many times. I know I do. And here, one of the elders could be a male, could be one of the apostles, one of John's colleagues, could be Daniel. In fact, somebody once said from chapter 4, looking at the 24 elders, when John saw those 24 elders, he saw himself. That's quite a thought to behold, isn't it? And one of the elders, male or female, saith unto me, Weep not, put your tears away, John. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Could be the Bible, could be the book of Revelation, Could be the title deeds to the earth. And yet again, I'm not overly sure. So I'm going to say it could be all three. But either way, this book is precious. This book is in the right hand of God the Father on a throne. The Lamb has come into the equation, verse 5. And from this point on, humankind, mankind will be forever changed. Look at verse 6, please. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, under the four beasts, And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. I beheld, I was able to see, I could glance at what was occurring. And lo, in the midst of the throne, God's throne and of the four beasts, could be seraphims from Isaiah chapter 1, could be cherubims. And last week we looked at the difference between cherubims and seraphims, Angels have no wings, but cherubims and seraphims do. And in the midst of the elders, so the lamb as it had been slain. Which tells me this, that in eternity we will see our saviour forever slain, forever depleted as a lamb. So whatever we're going through now or in the future, when things get tough, when things start to go really bad for us, we need to be mindful that in eternity When we have glorified bodies, our saviour may have retained his scarred body, having seven horns and seven eyes. Now again, we get into letterism, and people say, can we take this literally or not? Well, let's keep reading on. Which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth? Chapter 1 starts with seven candlesticks. Seven spirits, capital S. And most of your Bibles take you to Isaiah Eleven, one to verse three, and I spent some time looking at that piece of scripture. I'm not overly sure that is a helpful or correct cross-reference. And I thought, at the time, I still do, that these seven spirits from chapter one are probably seven angels. And as we read through Revelation, those seven angels have seven trumpets, and now they are depicted as having seven horns. Could be power bases, could be kingdoms. I'm not overly sure. Seven eyes, omniscience, perhaps, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. You've got seven churches, chapters 2 and 3, representing the body of Christ for 2,000 years. And those churches are the eyes of the Lord, the ears of the Lord. And I made the case a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again quickly now, that as a saved person, when you come into contact with an unsaved person, that unsaved person is seeing Christ in you. And on the other hand, you're seeing the devil in them. So that unsaved person who comes into contact with a saved person, as far as they are concerned, maybe they're not necessarily aware of it, but the truth is this, that that's the nearest that ever get to being, being in heaven. And to those of us which are saved, and we come into contact with an unsaved person, that's probably the nearest where we're going to get to seeing what hell is all about. But one more time from verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts... Cherubim, probably, in the midst of the elders, 24, representing redeemed Israel and redeemed church. And again, picturing the fact that the church has been removed from the earth. We call that the blessed rapture, the great snatch, as somebody once uh, described it. Stood a lamb, Christ, as it had been slain, literally uh, ripped to pieces, throat cut, Very much like the uh, Levites would have done back in the Old Testament. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, capital S in my Bible, sent forth into all the earth. I can't go beyond that. I'm not overly sure. And yes, I mentioned letterism, which we need to be mindful of because we know that Christ isn't a literal lamb eating grass or uh, doing what animals do. But he was depleted. As an animal. John the Baptist would say. Behold the Lamb of God. John chapter 1. Which taketh away the sin of the world. And of course you know he was looking at a man. Around 30 years of age. Not an animal. But that term. That description. Lamb of God. Clearly refers to uh, Christ. As our sacrificial lamb. Look at verse 7 please. And he came into the book out to the right hand of him that sat upon a throne. Who else could do this? I mean, the Pope couldn't do this. The Pope believes when he speaks on morals and faith that he is infallible. And they refer to that as the magisterium of the church. And up until the 1960s, when he wore his triple tiara, he believed he was Lord of heaven, earth, and hell. And as such, if he wanted to, he could release souls from hell. That, of course, is a dangerous blasphemy, a ridiculous belief. It's dangerous because it's delusional, and it's blasphemous because only God has such authority. In fact, he also believed he could release people from purgatory if he wanted to, and for thousands of years, in fact, to be correct, for 1,600 years, many Catholics were uh, going to shrines all over the world, praying uh, for their loved ones to be released from purgatory, giving money to priests to say a mass, for the loved ones, with the belief, with the hope that their loved ones would be released from purgatory, which, of course, you know is a fictitious place. It's a money making scheme. It's a racket. You were told over in Hebrews chapter 1 how Christ has purged us, past tense, from our sins. But here, 5 7 And he came, the Lamb, and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon a throne, God the Son. Approaching God the Father to take the book out of God the Father's hand. Who else could do this? Who else would have the authority to approach deity? I mean, it says the angels quake in his presence. The seraphims, they have six wings. Two cover their eyes, because in the presence of holiness. Two cover their feet, because on holy ground. And two are used to fly around. Look at verse 8, please. And when he had taken the book... The four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Again, the book could be the Bible, could be Revelation, could be the seven seals, could be the deeds of the earth, but you got four beasts, four living creatures, cherubim, quite possibly. Cross reference back to Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10 from memory and 4 and 20 elders 24 elders from chapter 1 could be male and I showed you from the book of Hebrews chapter 11 how there are at least 3 women referred to in Hebrews as elders and of course as such they are in glory um, when a woman gets saved in the church age yes she is a priest in a sense but she's not a pastor there's a big difference you got 24 elders probably the Crowd from chapter four representing redeemed Israel and the redeemed church, the twelve sons of Jacob and the twelve apostles, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And I read this this morning and last night thinking to myself, what do I do with this piece of scripture? And when he had taken the book, the Messiah, the four beasts, angelic, and four and twenty elders, redeemed mankind, fell down before the Lamb. So he will take worship, incidentally, regardless of what Muslims would have you believe, he will take worship, and he will take it quite rightly. In fact, he would tell you over in John uh, 13, you call me Lord and Master, you call me Master and Lord, and so I am. John 18, they came to arrest him, and he says, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am. And they all fall backwards, including Judas. So he will take worship. I am that I am, the Eternal One having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. This is very much a throwback to the Old Testament. You've got the priests were working twice a day, interceding for fellow Jews that were bringing sacrifices to the temple. I'll also add this as a quick footnote, that it could be possible that this piece of scripture ...can be cross-referenced to chapter 11... ...where we read about the third temple... ...which, from what I'm seeing online... ...is almost ready to be erected. They've been talking about this for years. It may just be that the third temple... ...starts to go up... ...before the rapture of the church. I'm not sure. But either way, you've got the elders... depicted in a sense... ...as the Old Testament priests were. Beyond that, it's speculation... But incense was very typical back in the Old Testament. And here you've got these 24 elders, very much priests, uh, to the Lord, referred to also in verse 10. Let's keep reading. Maybe I'll come back and have some more thoughts to that. Look at verse 9, please. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue, and people a nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. We shall reign on the earth. Not we are reigning on the earth, which some Bibles would have you believe, but we shall reign on the earth. And I mean literally on planet earth. Matthew 25, Christ comes back to judge the nations, and we come back with him because we were raptured before Matthew 25. In fact, you won't find the rapture, incidentally, in Matthew 24. The rapture was found here in Revelation chapter 4. They sing a new song, verse 9, probably in Hebrew, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, amen to that, and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, it is done, and has redeemed us to God by thy blood, thy holy blood. Thy precious blood, God's blood. No baptism, no water, no church membership, no 30 hours a week knocking on people's doors, pushing the watchtower organization or the Mormon system. Thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood. You're saved by the blood and you're kept saved by the blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. What would that woman say over in John chapter 4, that Samaritan? In fact, it wasn't just her, it was her people as well. We know that he is a saviour of the world. And yet Calvinists say, no, he's just a saviour of the elect. They've got no idea what they're talking about. Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy precious blood, out of every really kindred and tongue and people and nation. You can't miss it. He's a worldwide saviour. And has made us unto our God kings and priests. Now about that, kings and priests, kings with crowns, kings on thrones, kings with angels. First Corinthians chapter six, in submission to such and priests. Now for today, we are spiritual priests. Peter would tell you that we are present tense a royal priesthood, and yet in glory. The impression seems to be that we're going to be literal priests. You see, what happens on the earth is happening in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That's so important to get clear. But the latter part of verse 10 is wonderful. And we, the redeemed, shall reign on the earth, the millennial kingdom. And I'm very proud to say that I am premillennial, not to mention pre-tribulational and a King James Bible believer. Look at verse 11, please. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Seven parts to the blessing. Again, seven spirits, seven candlesticks, seven trumpets, seven seals, seven blessings ascribed to the Lamb. And I saw thousands upon thousands. Now, for memory, the term million isn't found in the Greek language. I think for Koine Greek, which is what this was written in back in the first century, they couldn't or well, there was no Greek word to describe the term millions, certainly not billions or trillions. So they use the term thousands to depict that there are many angels around the throne. One more time from 11, therefore. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels, voice singular, not voices plural. They're speaking probably in Hebrew based on chapter 19. Alleluia, spelt with an A, not an H, round about the throne, God's throne, And the beasts, living creatures, seraphim, cherubim, take your pick, and the elders, redeemed Israel, redeemed church, saved, washed in the blood, pre-Christ's death on a cross, all of these saved from creation to Calvary went into the ground, Abraham's bosom, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited patiently for the Messiah to die for the sins of the world, and as a result, go into the ground to scoop them up, which he did. That is Abraham's bosom, paradise. After that, paradise is third heaven, far north. But also, uh, pre the Lord's arrival to the earth, you've got the unsaved dead, the wicked dead, who are still in the ground today. And they are awaiting the great white throne judgment. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. Thousands of thousands, too many to count. Same with a loud voice. Very typical of a saved person. You get that back in the Gospel of Luke concerning Elizabeth. When Mary arrives at her home, she greets Mary with a loud voice. Also, you get uh, the unsaved, demon-possessed individual from, I think it's Mark chapter 2 from memory, who speaks with a loud voice. It's a counterfeit. And therefore, you need to be careful when you come across somebody who speaks with a loud voice. It could be a good thing. Might be a bad thing. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to see power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Seven parts to uh, mention here, seven parts to uh, comment on. And yet, even as I read it, I'm still not overly sure what to make of this piece of scripture from verse 12. Look at 13, please. And every creature which is in heaven. And on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor, and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon a throne, and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. Every creature which is in heaven, angelic and human, and on the earth, tribulation saint, and under the earth, the damned, the lost, and such as are in the sea. Very much tied in with Leviathan. And all that are in them. Heard I saying. Blessing and honour and glory and power. Be unto him that sitteth upon a throne. And of the Lamb forever and ever. God is going to make people worship him. You get that from Philippians chapter 2. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That's quite a thought. Not just the redeemed. Which do it quite happily. Chapter 4. They cast their crowns. At the feet of the eternal one. And yet, unsaved people are going to be worshipping him as well before they go into the lake of fire. Terrible thought. Look at verse 14, and we'll close. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. They're worshipping the one true God. Here is probably in reference to God the Father. And yet the Lamb is never far away. John chapter 10, the Father and I are one. Paul told you in Philippians chapter 2 that... He, Christ, didn't think it was robbery to be made equal with God. So, quite a lot of material that we've looked at today and I'm almost out of time but I will say this very briefly before I run out of time that what you've seen is precious, sacred and almost impossible to truly appreciate. When the third heaven we are in the presence of deity when the presence of The redeemed were in the presence of holy angels, although to be precise or specific, cherubim, seraphim, not angels per se, like Gabriel or Michael, which incidentally, even they couldn't open this book. That was in the right hand of God the Father. Thankfully, the Lamb steps forward, takes the book, and the Lamb will open that book, and we'll pick it up next week in chapter 6, and look out, because that book is going to destroy 2 billion people, on this earth, and it's like this: God is a landlord, and He's created His house, and He's put people into His house, and He says, "Look after My house, and all be good." Along the way, people start to desecrate the house; they start to smash it up; they start to um, do wicked things inside that house, resulting people being defiled, losing their lives. On top of that, they're not paying rent; they are abusing. The goodness of the landlord. And the Lord said, that's it. You've desecrated my house. You defiled it. You treated me with contempt. Judgment awaits you. Now, in a secular sense, if that were to happen, the landlord would take you to court, have you evicted, and you may have to pay a fine. If somebody died in the landlord's house, if somebody was murdered in the landlord's house, I'm looking at the way the world works. People killing each other, doing terrible things, and you go to jail for that, right? Well, how much more with the Lord? This earth is his home, or his property, if you will. He's the landlord of this earth. He owns the title deeds to this earth. We just read about it from chapter 5. People are desecrating this earth. People are abusing one another. People are worshipping false gods or no gods. How much longer can he sit back and just put up with this? He came the first time as the son of Joseph. They crucified him. They spat in his face. They mocked him, they blasphemed him and he took it because that's, that was his remits and yet at the second advent, chapter 19 onwards he comes back as the son of David to rule and reign but before he comes back he's going to kill 2 billion people and I'm speaking about Jesus Christ not some wicked warlord not some serial killer, not some tyrant from the 20th century I'm speaking about Jesus Christ and most churches don't even want to go there they won't even touch this book because for them it's too much. They'll preach about meek and mild Jesus, which he was and is, and yet he's going to come back as a roaring lion. He's going to roar. And if you're not saved, you're going to be lost and you're going to be damned. But what do they say? You make your bed, so there you are. You lie in it. So we'll close it there in chapter 5 and pick it up next week in chapter 6.